Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Typically, most of you know that the month of December, I usually try and preach messages on Christmas and so on and so forth, but God specifically directed me to Exodus chapter 18. So I'm not apologizing, I'm just explaining, okay? If you have an issue, take it up with him, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you won't win that argument. We live in a great country, do we not? Let let, let me say that again. We live in a great country, do we not? Yes, sir. Amen. All right. Now, one of the things that makes our country so great is our judicial system. It is unique within the world. Uh, The Judicial Learning Center wrote this. Our Our founders understood that judges who are able to apply the law freely and fairly are essential to the rule of law. The Constitution guarantees our rights on paper, but this would mean nothing without the independent courts to protect them. In our unique judicial system, courts are protected from the influence of other branches of government as well as the shifting popular opinion. That is critical to the success of our judicial system. This allows the judiciary to make decisions based on what is right under the law without political or personal consequences. Uh, Again, our system in our country is unique uh, in, in many ways, but it is unique because it is totally separated from our government. In fact, Reno is home to a college that specializes in teaching judges. Uh, don't know if you know that or not, but it, my understanding is, I could be wrong, but my understanding is uh, it's the only college in the world that specializes in educating judges. Uh, and it's, it, it's, called the, it's called the National uh, uh, Judical College. And uh, it's, it's right here in Reno. Now, I have a picture for you. Um, This is a very simplified version of our judicial system, the the different uh, courts of appeals and the process and so on and so forth. I have a second picture, which is a more complex uh, version of what we just saw. But uh, the court of appeals, uh, the next picture here, the court of appeals... Uh, is a is another unique uh, 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 entity. You got that picture, Chris? Uh, picture number three. There you go. Uh, this is the courts of the court of appeals. That is a, a, another element that makes our judicial system unique throughout the world. Is we have regional uh, centers, if you would, uh, where people can take their grievances. Now, <clears throat> the court was originally designed to help the individual hardworking American uh, have or, or have access to uh, justice. Um, and <clears throat> one of the hallmarks of most countries is that the fact that the common person does not have access to true justice. <clears throat> it is the monarchies and the, and the, and the uh, party officials that that have that access not the common man so it it is a it is a unique system 
but it is it is at at the same time as being very simple it is very complex it started off being simple but because of lawyers and politicians guess what guess what lawyers and politicians wait wait are there any lawyers here okay <laughs> okay you give something to a lawyer or a politician, what are they going to do? They're going to mess it up. And, and that's kind of where our judicial system is, is, is heading. But in it, at its core, it was, it was very, very simple and very unique. <clears throat> so if our judicial system is so unique, where did our founding fathers get the core principle of our judicial system? The, the Word of God. In fact, more specifically, Exodus chapter 18. The, the, the portion of Scripture that we are getting ready to read is the skeleton in which our founding fathers used to form the judicial system of our country. <clears throat> Let's start reading Exodus chapter 18, verse 13 and following. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, Where is this thing uh, that thou dost to the people? Why sittest thou alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come to me uh, to inquire of God. And when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and, and the other, and I do uh, make them know the statutes of God and, the law, and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, This thing that thou doest is not good. Uh, thou, thou wilt surely uh, wear away because thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Uh, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I, I, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Uh, be thou for the people to Godward, that they may uh, bring this cause unto God. And thou shalt teach them uh, the uh, teach them ordinances and laws, and shall show them the way wherein uh, they shall walk, and the and the work uh, that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide all uh, out of all the people able men, uh, as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter uh, that they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be uh, easier for thyself, and, thy, and they uh, shall bear the burden with thee. Uh, if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then shalt thou be able to endure, and all the people shall also go to uh, their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he did 
uh, <clears throat> that he had said, And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifty, and rulers of ten. And they judged the people at all seasons. <clears throat> the hard causes uh, they brought unto Moses, because every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for the, the incredible truths that we see in this passage. And Lord, help us to open our hearts this morning to see what you would have for us as well. We are so very thankful and grateful for all that you do for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here we see the skeleton of the of the judicial system that our country was is founded upon. And skeptics will tell you <clears throat> that our country was not founded on biblical principle. And that is absolutely 100% wrong. Uh, even our judicial system came straight out of the Word of God. And it is a very simple process. You appoint judges, over the over thousands, over hundreds, and over fifties, and over tens, and basically what it's set up to be, and our court system is the same way. That if a lower court cannot settle the matter, it goes to the higher court, and 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 so on and so on and so on. So <clears throat> very very simple in principle, but again, once you get lawyers and politicians involved, everything becomes a lot more difficult. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> The title of my message this morning is this, Living in the Will of God. Living in the Will of God. I want to take a little side note here and, and talk a little bit about the New Testament. We also see this same pattern in the New Testament. <clears throat> the early church in the book of Acts was growing exponentially. And <clears throat> they were growing so fast that there were people that were being neglected. And there started to, there was there was conflict within the church and and <clears throat> so in Acts chapter six verses one through six we see this same principle on a smaller scale but the same principle being enacted in Acts chapter six verse one it says and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied or the church was growing exponentially there arose a murmur of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the, of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Now let's stop right there. What, what the apostles were saying was not that we're too good to serve. That's not what, that's not what they're saying. Is what they're saying is we have an obligation to walk with God. We need to meditate. We need to spend time with God so that we can serve the people uh, for God. There was no hierarchy here, okay? <clears throat> Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But they, uh, excuse me, but uh, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the, the, the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man, of, uh, man full of faith of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and uh, uh, Procurus and uh, Nicaron, 
and uh, uh, Timon, and I should have practiced these names. Anyway, you got it. Uh, who they set before the apostles, and when they had uh, uh, prayed, they laid their hands upon them. So you see the same basic pattern being being established in the church. You have an organization that is growing exponentially. is It's getting out of control. This, the few apostles were unable to, to continually meet the needs and spend time in prayer in the Word of God. So what did they do? They set people over, over the people to, to do the very things, to, to serve. Now, <clears throat> here, they, this is the New Testament of the early church's version of deacons. Okay? So the deacon, the word deacon, anybody know what the word deacon means? Anybody? No, it means servant. It literally means to be a servant. And that's what this early church was. They appointed deacons or they appointed servants to serve people. Now, let me ask you a question. Biblically speaking, the judges that Moses appointed were to do what? To serve. They were not there to pass legislation. They were there to interpret law and serve the people. Do you see the similarities here? At least I do. I don't know if you do, but I do. Uh, and and <clears throat> so I want to I go back to our passage here in Exodus, and I want to look at the wisdom of Jethro and Moses, specifically Jethro and Moses, And I want to look at the wisdom that both of these men used in putting together uh, this list of, or this 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 group of judges, if you would. Point number one this morning: the wisdom of Jethro. I want to look at specifically four ways that Moses, uh, that that Jethro showed wisdom in dealing with Moses. Okay. Excuse me, again, you have to understand that, that, that Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, but throughout the book of Exodus, we've seen a great respect that every time Moses is with Jethro, Moses shows Jethro a great amount of respect. And, so, and we see it being carried on in, in this discussion as well. So the very first thing I want to point out, and this is really kind of key to the whole thing, is letter A, um, uh, he listened to Moses. He listened to Moses. Look at verses 14 and 15. Uh, And and when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that thou hast done to the the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone with all this people stand before thee from morning and evening? And Moses uh, said unto his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire uh, of God. And so Moses, see, see, Jethro asks a question, and then he listens to the answer. Now, what do we tend to do? We tend to ask questions and jump to conclusions, do we not? But a wise person, 
before drawing a conclusion, will listen to the answer. And Jethro asks the question, Moses, what in the world are you doing? This is insanity, man. But before he gives advice, he listens to the answer. Before he throws his two cents in to the, to the, to the ring, I guess you could say, he listens to the answer. And I'm here to tell you that, that one of the best things a counselor can do is listen. We, have, we are surrounded by people that need us to listen to them. The second thing of wisdom that he shows is he recognizes the potential risk to Moses' health. Verses 17 and 18, basically, in a nutshell, what he says here is, look, if you keep going at this pace, you are going to do one of two things. You are going to get really, really sick or you're going to kill yourself. He recognized the fact that if it hadn't already, that it was going to take a physical toll on Moses. And he just flat out tells him, look, you need to change something. You are going to be sick or die. And then what good will you be? Oftentimes when... I visit people in the hospital, and those of you that, that I've done this with, you now, now you know my secret. I'm about to tell you my secret. But oftentimes what happens is I'll go to the hospital and, and people will be going through, uh, families will be going through a very difficult medical situation, be it surgery, you know, whatever. Uh, and one of the very first things I ask when I get to the hospital is I will look at the family member or family members that are that are not the one in the hospital, the, the, the quote-unquote caregivers, and I'll look at them and I'll say, when's the last time you've eaten? And they always look at me like, well, that's kind of dumb. No, it's not. It's really important. Because, the, and then I say this, you know, they'll, they'll, and, and typically they'll say, well, I haven't eaten since yesterday or, or whatever, and, and I'll say, look, let's go get something to eat. And if we're at Renown, we just stay right. That, that, the restaurant in Renown is actually pretty good. Okay? <clears throat> so, um, um, but my point is this. If the caregiver is weak and sick because they're not eating properly, what good are they going to be to the person in the hospital? And it's the exact same principle that Jethro was trying to communicate to Moses. If you're sick, if you're dead, what good are you going to be to this people that so desperately need you? Now I want you to look at verse 22. Verse 22 of chapter 18 says, And let let them judge the people in all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter... Uh, they shall bring unto thee, but the small matter they shall judge. <clears throat> so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden 
get the, these two words, with thee. What was Moses doing up until this point? He was carrying it all himself. <clears throat> In verse 22, it says, And let it be easier. The word easier here literally means to take cargo off of a ship. That's what the word literally means. Or another, we would, 21st century vernacular, we would put it, let us lighten your load. Now, now this is really critical, and we're going to get into it a little deeper here in a little bit. Jethro is not suggesting to Moses to get rid of the load. He's wanting him to lighten the load. And again, we'll get into that a little bit deeper here in a few minutes, but it's really important that we understand that Jethro understands the physical toll that Moses is going to be going through if he doesn't change something quickly. The third thing that he shows wisdom is, is that he offers counsel. Look at verse 19. He says, Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. <clears throat> it's really important that we understand that, that, that Jethro understood and was recommending to Moses opinion. Another perspective. He was, he was not looking at Moses and saying, Moses, you better start doing this. He was not issuing a mandate. He was issuing an opinion. Because counseling is opinion. Now, again, we're going to get into this a little bit more when we talk about Moses. But, but it, again, it's, it's, it's important to understand here that Jethro was offering opinion right out of the gate. And that's what counseling is. A little side note here. <laughs> Be really careful who you get counsel from. Okay, just saying. You know, we live in a world today, and I'm just, this is, this is just how humans think. That if, if you put a DR or some other kind of fancy initials before or after someone's name, all of a sudden we think that they know more than everybody else. And then you give this individual the opportunity to write a book. Then our attitude becomes, oh, well, they must be right. No, let me tell you, it's opinion. Anybody who gives counsel, in fact, I get people all the time will come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think? And, I, and I, oftentimes I'll ask you, are you asking me my opinion? And, and they'll say, well, well, yeah. Do you really want my opinion? You know, because what, oftentimes, what do we do? We, we go around asking people advice until we find somebody who agrees with us. And then we go, oh, well, she said to. Oh, well, pastor said it was okay. I can do it. No, no. Counseling, counsel is opinion. And we need, to, we need to kind of wrap our heads around that because it, it really messes up a lot of people. But the most important thing that Jethro did, we see in verse 19 as well, and point number four, letter D, is he pointed Moses 
to the will of God. Let's go to verse 19 again. And now hearken, hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word, <clears throat> that, that thou mayest bring the cause before God. You know, what did, what did Jethro say? Jethro said, you know what, Moses, I'm going to give you some advice. You can take it or leave it. I don't care. But if you're smart, you'll go to God in prayer about this advice and do what he tells you to do. See, that is what a wise counselor does. A wise counselor points people to the will of God. <clears throat> Jethro, again, did not command anything to Moses, but urged him to walk with God. He said, again, this is my advice. Take it or leave it. It doesn't matter to me. It's your life. But if you, if you're, if, if, if you, if you want my help, take it to God and then do what God tells you to do. Look at verse 23. If thou shalt do this thing and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure all this people uh, shall also go to their place in peace. So what is he saying here? If my advice is right and God directs you to do what I'm telling you to do, then you'll have peace in your life and people will have peace in their life. I believe he did. I believe he did. <clears throat> the first and most important quality of any counselor, I don't care any counselor, I don't care what initials they have after their name. I don't care what college they went to. Any counselor, the, the, the most important quality of any counselor is to point people to God. Because if they are not doing that, I'm just telling you, we live in a world today that wants to hand out medicine and antidepressants and all of this stuff before they point you to God. And most of the time, most of the time, it is, it is a very simple connection with God that can help people through some very difficult times. Point number two, let's look at the wisdom of Moses. <clears throat> Moses also showed great wisdom here. In verse 17, we see letter A. I think there's five, five, five things of wisdom here that I found with Moses. The first one is he listened to Jethro. <clears throat> he listened to Jethro. Verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, <clears throat> This thing is, <clears throat> is not good. Uh, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I found when giving counsel is counsel oftentimes gets people upset because oftentimes what people will say to me or in to anybody who really is trying to help well if i wanted to be criticized i could have went to someone else you know unfortunately counsel comes in the form of criticism. And really, when you, when you boil it down, <clears throat> was not Jethro criticizing Moses 
for the way he'd been doing business, so to speak. You know, in <clears throat> 21st century vernacular, we, you know, Jethro would have looked at him like, man, you're an idiot. What are you doing that for? You're killing yourself, man. That, that, I don't know about you, but that sounds like criticism to me. <clears throat> well, but if he lived today, he would have been criticism. <clears throat> See, advice often does come in the form of criticism. But Moses listened to it. He didn't, he didn't jump out of his seat and, and, and say something ugly to his father-in-law. He just said, he, he just listened and took it in. Because the reality is this. There's always a little bit of truth in criticism, is there not? Is there anybody in this room besides me who's perfect? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> All right, Tim, you and me, bud. Just, it's just you and me, man. <laughs> No, there's none of us perfect. Is there any of us who have stopped learning and growing and maturing? No, we all need to continue to learn and grow. We are all going to make mistakes. And oftentimes it's through criticism that we learn about those things in those areas in our lives that we need to grow. And Moses did not get an attitude. He just, he, he listened, he listened to his father-in-law Jethro. Albert Hubbard wrote this, to avoid criticism, I love this quote, by the way, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. (laughs) So yeah, if you don't like criticism, lock yourself in the closet and die, okay? Because that's, that's the only, and then you'll be criticized for doing that. Yeah, you wouldn't have listened to it. <laughs> Letter B, and this is important. Letter B, he recognized the physical toll that was that was taking place. I guess <clears throat> I forgot to put the word place in there, or, or or in his life. However, you can fill in the blank. But he just recognized. He realized what his father-in-law was telling him was right. Going back to my illustration of the situation in hospital, oftentimes after a family member has had a meal, they look at me and they say, thank you. I needed that. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 12 to 14 says, <clears throat> this is, again, this is the same account, but in Deuteronomy, it says, how can I, I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife Take you wise men and understanding and and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And they <clears throat> answered me and said, This thing will thou, uh, uh, which thou uh, hast spoken is good for us to do. So again, Moses understood the, the, the wise counsel of his father-in-law. Now, uh, again, I told, you, I told you when we talked about it a minute ago that we'd talk about it a little bit more in depth. I want to stop and talk about this second because I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. Are we told in the New Testament to bear one another's burdens? We are. Uh, in fact, it is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, uh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here, the, the word bear here literally means to carry the load, uh, or, or it's the same concept that we saw uh, uh, Jethro talking about to Moses, is, is the ability to take the burden from someone else and to place it upon yourself. So is there a conflict of ideas going on here? Absolutely not. Okay, again, Jethro never told Moses to stop bearing the burdens of people. What he was telling him is you cannot bear the burdens for two million people. You need help. You need to distribute that burden out to other people. And when the work of the church is done properly, we all bear the burdens of each other. And Moses never stopped bearing the burden of the people. In a sense, what he became is the equivalent to our Supreme Court. When things didn't happen in the lower court, it would go up, it would just keep going up the chain until it got to Moses. And then Moses, through the wisdom of God and the power of the Word of God, would make a choice and that was it. It was done. Moses never quit doing the work and bearing the burdens. He just distributed it out among the people so that everything did not fall on him. Lots of wisdom there. Lots of wisdom. Letter C. Or the third thing uh, that the uh, wisdom that <clears throat> Moses did was he followed Jethro's advice. In verses 24 to 26, we see that <clears throat> Moses... Uh, it would appear that he immediately started putting things in place. But if you understand the context of what's going on, Moses did spend a season in prayer uh, praying about this. And after praying and God giving him direction, Moses started putting these, these things into play. <clears throat> now, I want to go back to Acts chapter 6 in the, in the, in the early church when the, the similar thing that took place and the deacons were appointed. And, and <clears throat> what happened to the church? It, it's interesting because, well, let, let's read it. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, And the word of God increased. See, when the burden was distributed amongst the people, instead of just a few, it was distributed out. The word of God increased. And the number of disciples multitude in Jerusalem greatly, and, the, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. So in other words, what happened was when, when, when that burden was taken off of the apostles and placed on other people, the church grew even more. Why? Because it is, it is incredibly cumbersome for any single person or group to carry all of the burdens of all of the people or pastor. But when we as a church work together and we, we share the burdens of each other, it is an incredible picture that was set forth in Acts chapter 6, actually going all the way back to Moses. Number four thing that Moses did. 
verses 15 and 16, we see that he pointed people to the word of God. He pointed people to the word of God. Look look at verse 15. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God, when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and and the other, and I do... Uh, make them known the statutes of God and my opinions. Is that what it says? No. that, That he makes known the statutes of God and his law. See, Moses, Moses was not interested in giving people his opinion. He was interested in pointing people to the word of God. Now, there's, a, there's an important distinction that we need to draw here. Jethro very clearly states that he is going to give Moses counsel or give him his opinion. Moses never says anything about his opinion or his counsel. But what does Moses do? Moses points people to the Word of God. See, the Word of God is not opinion. It's truth. This book, this book changes lives. My opinion doesn't change anything. In fact, you can take my opinion and $1.07 and go to McDonald's and buy a cup of coffee with it. It changes nothing. This book changes everything. And see, Jethro was giving his opinion. Moses was giving truth. That's the type of people we need to be. Uh, Is our opinion important? Could be. I I don't know. I've met people that have given me really, really good advice through the years. Just saying. But has it changed my life? Probably not. Has this book changed my life? Absolutely. The difference between Jethro and Moses was Jethro was giving his opinion. Moses was pointing people to God. And then fifthly, Moses sought the will of God. Moses sought the will of God. Look at verse 23. If thou shalt do this, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be uh, able to endure, and all this people shall go to their place in peace. And Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Well, how can I say that he sought the will of God? Well, in the verse previously, uh, Jethro tells him, seek the will of God. Well, the next verse says he did he did what his father-in-law told him to do. So that tells me that Moses sought the will of God. What is the most important thing for your life? The will of God. The 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 my opinion of what how you should live your life means absolutely nothing. But the will of God for your life should mean everything. God's will for a person will always line up with this book. Always. They cannot 
We cannot separate the will of God and this book from our lives. If we are going to walk in the will of God for our lives, this book is going to be a big part of that. You cannot separate the two. And then number three, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the wisdom of the judges. Verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such uh, over them to be rulers over the thousands, rulers over the hundreds, rulers over the fifties, and rulers over the ten. Look down in verse 24. And Moses hearkened unto the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of the thousands and the rulers of the hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of the ten. My point is this. Jethro recommended to Moses and Moses followed his advice to find people who were already walking with God to be the judges. You don't find people that have family connections and hope that they'll do the right thing. No, you find people who are walking with God and then you appoint them to be judges. These men, the, these judges were people who walked with God. These people were, 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 were people who exhibited the, 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 the very uh, things that, that Moses needed. And then Jethro says, not only that, but once you've selected these men, it is your responsibility to teach them how to do their jobs right. What about the church in Acts chapter 6? Same thing. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. In other words, go out and find people who are walking with God to be the servants of God. And way too often, way too often, <clears throat> churches need to fill a spot. They need to plug a hole. And what do they do? They think, hmm, let's see, I need a warm body here. Let's see, uh, okay, how about you? You want to come and do this? Well, well, this person doesn't read their Bible. This person doesn't really walk with God. Well, if we, t- if we make them, a, 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 put them in this position, he'll, he'll start doing that. No, that's not scriptural. You find people who are walking with God, then you put them in positions of leadership. That's how the Bible says to do it. And it goes all the way back to Moses. Now let's talk about our judiciary system for a second. We just went through a a fiasco called a, 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 um, a a hearing in the Senate about a potential nominee that the president put forward for the Supreme Court. What is the job of the Senate? The job of the Senate is to go back through the record of the man that the president put forth and to see if he's doing the job or if he has been doing the job already. You don't put a novice 
You know, I, I guarantee there's one thing in this world that will never happen. I will never be nominated to be a Supreme Court judge. Okay? Just saying. Why? Because I've never done it. <laughs> no, no, I've never done it. <clears throat> See, the system was set up in such a way that people who are already doing the job, basically all you're doing is giving them a title because they're already doing the job. That's how the New Testament, that's how the Old Testament has it set up. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and, the dark, and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now I'm going to make a statement here in reference to our judicial system that I hope you understand. I do not believe whether a person is saved or not, doesn't matter. But if that individual does not believe in God, they cannot be a good judge because of this passage right here. Because the beginning of knowledge, <clears throat> well, let me, let me reread it so I don't butcher it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if they don't fear God, then the knowledge that they have is not the kind of knowledge that needs to be sitting on the seat of a judge. Just saying. Now, I do want to draw an interesting conclusion to all of this. <clears throat> These judges that Moses are, is going to establish, he establishes 70 judges. 70 judges, counting himself, 71, okay? Uh, after Moses is off the scene, the high priest then becomes the, the, the 71st judge. These 70 judges, through time, become known as, anybody know what, later on, what we call them? Uh, the Sanhedrin, okay? Through time... 1,500 years, this group of 70 judges becomes the Sanhedrin, and it's the Sanhedrin that plot to kill Jesus Christ. I, I spent some time quandering that, because to me, I found that to be incredibly interesting, because here, Moses took godly men and put them in places of authority and places of judgment over the nation of Israel. These 70 men became incredibly influential, and, and through the course of 1,500 years, they would, they would become pivotal in the, in the nation of Israel and, and, and the, and, and the, and the uh, spiritual growth of the nation. And here, 1,500 years later, this very group of men that started off to be godly men through time, disintegrated to the point where they were the ones who actually plotted to kill Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The world. And I thought, how could, how could something so good have gone so far south? And God reminded me of something. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through 5, says, this know also, 
that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady-minded, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having, and this is the key, having a form of godliness. So if somebody has a form of godliness, are they godly? No, it's a shell. It's a, it's, it, it is a pretense. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, for such turn, excuse me, from such turn away. If that doesn't describe our world today, I don't know what does. So you ask the question, how could this group of 71 judges disintegrate to the point where they are the very group of people who are dedicated and plotting the death of the Messiah, who we are this very season, we're we're celebrating the birth of the Messiah. We're, We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in just a few weeks. We are, we are, we sang songs about him this morning. Go tell it on the mountain. What are we telling on the mountain? We're telling that Jesus Christ has come. We live in a world that needs Jesus Christ and we are supposed to shout it out. How do we do that? Number one, it starts with by opening your mouth and telling people. But number two, it starts by living in the will of God. How do we do that? We do that by taking this book and incorporating it into our lives. It's not the wisdom of men, it's the wisdom of this book that changes lives. The will of God. We saw the wisdom of Jethro, we saw the wisdom of Moses, and we saw the wisdom of the judges. Now, the challenge this morning is very, very simple. You're going to live through the wisdom of this book, or are you going to live through the wisdom of the world? You're going to do one or the other. It's really that simple. You're either going to walk with God or you're not going to walk with God. You're going to take this book and embed it into your life and let this book change you, or you're going to do what you want to do. It's your choice. I'm not here to, to, to tell you anything different. I'm not here to give you counseling. I'm not here to tell I am here presenting the truth of the Word of God. And as I was studying this week through this passage, God just broke my heart over the fact that there are so many times I do not seek this book when it comes to situations and problems of life. I seek my own wisdom. I seek the wisdom of, of the world. And God very simply, very gently, well, it wasn't so gentle, God reminded me this week how desperate I need this book. 
how bad do you need it? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day.